Welcome to Conversations in Equine Science. My name is Kate Acton and I'm joined by Nancy McLean. And this is the podcast where we take equine research and try and make it accessible to horse owners and enthusiasts. Remember with each topic we discuss that your horse is an individual, so make sure that you get professional professional advice before implementing any strategies. This week, Nancy and I were looking at a paper and it's called Association Between Nutritional Values of Haze Fed to Horses and the Sensory Properties as Perceived by Human Sight, Touch and Smell. And that's by S. Julians et al. And it's a 2019 paper, so it's pretty new research. And it had a great premise behind it and the importance of carrying this out. So although hay is the foundation of most equine diets, horse owners rarely ask for any kind of biomechanical analysis. And the routine practice is to choose hay based on what we perceive to be its nutritional value. So this study aimed to explore the relationship between sensory properties as perceived by sight, touch and smell and the nutritional value of the hay. So in essence, when we see a sample of hay, we will look at it, we'll smell it, we'll feel it, and then we'll determine whether it's good or not. And this study backs that up to see whether, you know, these people's perceptions matched up with what the actual analysis of the hay was. Yeah, it, it was an interesting study because they took um, 21 hay samples and they also took samples from 27 hay buyers. I should, I should say examples in descriptions of what makes good hay in their opinion. And then that way they had the opinion of the non-professionals and then of the professional hay buyers. So they um, did one of those like food uh, methodologies that's called free sorting task. And they put the samples in front of 54 participants. And so um, they sorted them by sight, which sight, there was a little sample on a white paper plate. And then for smell, they put the hay in glass jars and in a dimly lit room. So they could not see the hay, they could only smell it. And then for touch, they put the hay in a box with a small opening that they could fit their hand in to feel it so they couldn't smell it or see it as well. So it was very well controlled, I thought. And even within like the samples they took, they took the samples from different areas within the bale. So they're not just taking like the outermost part, they collected bits from the center as well, 10 different locations. And I think that's the thing, like you... When you read a paper like this and you see how well controlled it was, then you just trust in the science that bit more because they did go to a length to make sure nothing was influencing it. And the amazing thing about this is those uh, 54 participants, so non-expert, they don't have any background in hay or in crops or anything like that they pretty much hit the nail on the head and they were able to determine which hay was the higher value just by assessing it, which I think is just brilliant, like so useful. I really did start reading this paper thinking, no, there's no way, like they're they're not going to 
work out what the scientific analysis will work out. I thought you'd have to be an expert because I know there's people and, you know, they would just walk by a field and they're going to know whether it's right or not without even getting close to it. You know, people that have real experience in it, like Nancy, you farm hay, so you'd have a big background in that. But I thought your everyday person surely wouldn't be able to work that out. And they were, which is just great. I I also feel that sometimes I come across people, each of us have our own perception of what makes good hay. And so it was amazing that these non-professionals were able to pinpoint the hay that had the highest crude protein or the highest digestible energy. And um, it was amazing that they could do that. And a lot of people don't really know what makes good hay. If the hay smells good, they usually go with it. But sometimes it all depends on the maturity and the cutting. I mean, as you cut a hay field, those nutrients kind of diminish as the hay season goes on. So normally your first cutting is going to be your most nutritious, although it more than likely is going to have a lot of that neutral detergent fiber and that acid detergent fiber. So it's going to have a lot of cellulose and lignin in it. And um, if you can cut it pre-bloom or at the bloom, which those are the, in alfalfa, that's the purple flowers. So usually that's a guide. When you start to see the purple flowers, you got to get in there and cut the hay. And you just hope the weather gives you a window of opportunity for that. Because you do need an extended drying period before you can bale that hay. And um, would you have more competition then for that first cut? Like would people specify that's what they want when they're buying hay? No, people don't want first cutting. So usually I take the first cutting uh, myself. Now, last season, we had a long rainy spell and we could not get in there. So the hay was very mature. However, um, during that snow, my horses were eating it perfectly fine. And that uh, Dr. Morgan's talk at the Royal Dick um, Veterinary School, she had said that that's preferred for little fat ponies to eat, and you can give up to 50% of that. So sometimes uh, people would call it, you know, kind of like stubble hay, or even long stemmed hay, it's just a, a little more mature. And this was was mature. So um, anyway, um, I kind of like the, the first cutting hay. I think it's got the best smell to it, but it also would have um, also the highest protein if you cut it pre-bloom or at the bloom. I think that's great to know as well that you can feed up to 50% of that. So people, you know, aren't just going to waste it or you know, buying hay from maybe a new supplier and you're not really sure and you think you've ended up with stubble hay, like, you know, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, keep it and just dilute it down with other hay. And that's great to, as you said, you know, for those good doers, keep their weight down. Yeah. And they said the low digestible energy hay 
um, they described it as yellow, dry, thick, rigid, prickly, like straw, and some even called it musty or rotten. Well, that had the lower energy in it. Now, you would never want to feed a horse moldy hay, of course, but your little, uh, well, you know, easy keepers or well doers, they can get that. And then that low digestible energy, that's low calorie as well. So um, the high digestible energy they described as soft, flexible, um, tea-like smell to it, green, uh, fine stem and thin. Well, that's your higher calorie hay. And then um, the, what was it, Kate? The um, non-fiber carbohydrate, the NFC, mm -hmm. the hay was that tea-like, um, pleasant smell to it. And that's one, if you have a horse that you want to keep on low carbohydrate, that's one maybe you would rather go with the um, more non-smelling hay. And I think that smell has a lot to do with sugar and starches within that hay. Yeah, because they said it was still correlated to high energy content. Yeah. Um, yep. But yeah, I thought to myself as well, the people who were describing the lower energy content hay as being um, rotten or moldy. Mm -hmm. I thought maybe that's the little bit of inexperience that shines through in this because otherwise they nails it. But maybe they perceive that musty smell. Like maybe they're correlating that with things that are rotten or things that are moldy. Whereas the hay wasn't actually rotten. It wasn't moldy. It was just that lower content. You know, it smells more musty than your lovely fresh um, hay. And I always think this when... You know, I used to have guinea pigs and they are so picky when it comes to hay. And horses do the same thing. We know that if you mix hay 50-50, so 50% lower quality, 50% higher, they're going to pick out all the higher quality first. But then we're leaving them with lower quality hay that they can pick at through the night. And I used to see that all the times with my guinea pigs. Like if I didn't have forward planning and I ended up running to the pet shop to pick up hay last minute and it wasn't that nice Timothy grass hay well they just pulled it out and just like made beds out of it they didn't like care for it at all yeah yeah and my horses do that I tend to be a mixer of hay so I'll take different cuttings and mix it even if I have to break up a flake in you know in half to give less quality hay and mix it with good quality hay. And then they're doing a natural grazing behavior because they'll do that in a pasture, pick and get the good grass and then go back and get the less desirable grass. And so you want to mimic that in your barn and that keeps that constant trickle feeding occurring throughout the night. So I have used that first cutting from last year it's a little mature, but it's good busy work for them. And in the morning, most of it is cleaned up except what I call the plasticized hay. And that's that, it's got that plastic coating like on it. And that's your cellulose and lignin that they just don't want to eat. It's like straw kind of. Yeah. So, and then you find with the different. Hayes, your pony is the pickiest of the, which it's funny because I feel like ponies have the most attitude, 
but you would think racehorses would be a little bit picky in what they were eating. You know, the racehorses pretty much clean up their hay through the night. Now, in the morning, they're ready to get out. They want to go out to pasture. And so they're not as good of eaters in the morning. Now, the pony, she will pretty much be like a little vacuum cleaner. But if you give her a little bit of the lignin hay um, that's plasticized, she'll poop on it. As if to say, I have to remind myself I'm not eating that. So, um, <laughs> so she's she no temptation later on. No, and she will be tempted if it's in the stall. But um, anyway, um, the one thing I wanted to add is um, for those buying hay, it seems like as we go on in America, we lose our hay farmers as they get older and they die off. It's such a hard job to do that you don't see a lot of new hay farmers coming in. So um, you end up buying various hays from different people, or you get various hays of different cuttings. So that makes it kind of uneconomical to get hay analysis. So you can read this paper and I will put the link up and you'll be able to uh, kind of notate the lower quality from the higher quality. And hopefully you'll be able to use this in some of your hay um, decisions on uh, your buying and mixing it. That's very useful because I think like, as you've said, Nancy, people are going to get to a point where especially if there's only small productions of it, you are going to end up getting, you know, a couple bales from one farmer and then a couple from another mm -hmm. and different qualities. Yeah. And sometimes they big uh, production areas, they spray their hay with a preservative so it won't mold. So that way they can bale it a little on the damp side. But sometimes that changes the palatability of the hay. So, you know, I mean, it's good it doesn't get moldy, but in the same token, some horses won't eat that. So, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's a rough business. And um, it saddens me that when I see another hay farmer retire, because it's such a, uh, sometimes the weather patterns do not help mm -hmm. you. Sometimes it's, you're, it's 100 degrees and you've got hay stuck to you. And it's just not a very easy farming process. So um, it would it helps out to know as much as you can about the, the forages. And then we also have the prepackaged forages that you can buy, but they're just not the same. You know, you want forage that your horse can chew on, get that saliva into the stomach to buffer the acid. And sometimes cubes are uh, preserved hay. It's just too easy to chew up. Yeah. And as we said in that podcast we did about Dr. Morgan's talk, remember to soak your hay mm -hmm. before you're feeding it. Yeah. And I know it's definitely something that people aren't going to do, but I'll say it anyway. Consider wearing a mask if you're working with hay, yeah. because those small fibers and dust particles, you know, just protect your lungs. If you're working with it day in, day out, don't be breathing that in too much. Yeah, it's it does start to fly in the air and we're guilty. Sometimes we're in the hay barn and we're not wearing a mask, but, um, you know, 
with COVID, we're better at mask wearing now. So that's why it's getting easier. No, I will say that sometimes when I get a little browsier alfalfa cut for my older horses, it's a pain, but I do soak it so it's easier for them to chew. Now, a lot of times it's lower in that digestible energy, but if you soak it, they'll still eat it. So, and I think they said soak like 30 minutes or more, but at least 30 minutes to make a difference in that. Yeah, I think um, Dr. Morgan said if she is able and has like the capacity to do it, she'll soak for a number of hours. Yeah, I don't know why I have eight hours. It was like in my head. Yeah, seven or eight hours, she said. But you're like, oh, my God, that's all day. You're soaking hay. And then at what point in, in our area is it too warm? to do it that yeah and it worries me so I always figure if I can get a good 30 minutes to an hour in the summer of soaking that's you know that makes me feel like I'm not getting any mold or bad bacteria growth in it so check your climate check your temperature before you know you do any of that long-term soaking but I know 30 minutes doesn't hurt I think that's everything I had for this one today. Yeah, I think for me too. It was a good study and it was uh, encouraging that sometimes by sight, we can tell good quality hay from poor quality. So, um, you know, it's it's good to know that you don't always have to spend money on the analysis for each load of hay you bring in. Yeah, definitely trust your instincts on this one. Yep, that sounds great. And did we have any housekeeping, Kate? I don't think so. This was a request, wasn't it, Nancy? It was. Um, they Someone requested this a, a few months back, and I was checking my uh, website emails and found it and thought, well, well, we'll do this one so they can kind of know um, they got a good chance. Now, you won't be seeing your phosphorus or calcium or those specific analysis done, but at least you'll be able to tell the protein and um, the fiber in the carbohydrate by just kind of appearance and smell and touch. Brilliant. And for any uh, new listeners this week, welcome. You can follow us on social media. So we're on Facebook and we're on Instagram. Facebook is Conversations in Equine Science and Instagram is Conversations.EquineScience. If you do have any requests, reach out to us and let us know. Or if you'd just like to drop us a little voice message to say hi, you can do that on our Anchor homepage. Okay, sounds great. Thanks so much for joining in, Kate. And we'll see everyone next week. Take care. Bye-bye.